Behind the Bite podcast is part of a network of podcasts that are good for the world. Check out podcasts like the Full of Shift podcast, After the First Marriage podcast, and Eating Recovery Academy over at practiceofthepractice.com backslash network. Welcome to Behind the Bite podcast. This podcast is about the real life struggles women face with food, body image, and weight. We're here to help heal, inspire, and create better, healthier lives. Welcome. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to the show. I'm really excited today because I have with me a guest who's going to talk about relational trauma. And I don't know if you're at home listening or somewhere listening and when that term comes to mind, you have all sorts of ideas in your mind about what that is. Certainly, I think the word trauma can evoke all sorts of thoughts and emotions for people. Um, But that's the reason I wanted to do this show today is to discuss what that is, clarify it with somebody who works with trauma on a day-to-day basis in their practice, and also to discuss maybe how relational trauma shows up in someone's day-to-day life. And and maybe you're sitting there and listening and you have no idea that some of the, you know, patterns and relationships or some of the ways you live your day-to-day life, um, you know, they're impacted by relational trauma. And I think it's always a good idea to just have these discussions. And if, you know, some things in your life, some patterns you have been engaging in with relationships, um, you found that maybe they're faulty or they're dysfunctional, or you wonder why do I do that? Um, maybe today, you know, you take a listen and you start to think that maybe some things in your past have had an impact on the ways you engage with people, or the way you think, or the way you feel. And so, you know, I'm excited to bring on our guest um, and just have this discussion. And you know, if you have questions, always DM me, make comments uh, on social media, reach out to me. Um, reach out to our guest. I think that's uh, the beauty of the podcast is it can bring up all sorts of things and questions for people. And I always love hearing from you guys. So that being said, I'm going to tell you who we have, and then we're going to jump right on in. Um, We have Esther Goldstein. She's a licensed clinical social worker. Um, She's a trauma specialist and founder of a group practice, which is integrative psychotherapy, where she and a team of therapists provide cutting edge treatment to those seeking relief from anxiety, depression, and trauma symptoms. She also runs an online trauma training for therapists and educators around the world who are committed to deepening their knowledge, skills, and confidence in supporting those on their healing journey. Really excited to bring her on. All right. Well, Esther, welcome to the show. I'm excited to have you here and uh, jump into this topic. Um, Would you mind sharing for people? You know, I I just introduced a little bit about you, but um, I always like to hear from guests a little bit more from their own mouths. Would you mind telling us a little bit about you and how you got into this work? I'm really happy to be on here. Thank you so much for your impactful work and having conversations. My name is Esther Goldstein. I'm a fellow human being. The reason I say that is just because I always think about how like therapists or people in the position of like healing or doctors or people in a giving role. I think it's so important to remember that we're all just fellow humans. Sometimes we're the givers and sometimes we're the takers. Um, I'm a therapist. I'm a trauma specialist. And I own and run a group practice in New York. And I also educate trauma therapists in deepening their work as therapists. And I'm really excited to talk about 
the relational concept of connection because we're all human beings and we're all in relationships. So just excited to be here today. Awesome. Well, thank you. And I think I shared with you, I haven't had this topic in particular on the show, um, but there are a lot of people who have trauma and I, I don't think they they're really aware of how it impacts their lives and their relationships. And so that's why I really wanted you on here and to discuss it further. Um, I think if people can hear more about how it shows up in their day-to-day lives, I think it would be really informative and and helpful for them. Um, But maybe we can just talk about, I know you mentioned like to me, at least the the first step is acknowledging um, relational trauma because that's the first step toward healing. But could you talk about what it is? Because people might say, what the heck is relational trauma? I've heard of trauma and all these things, but what is that in particular? Right. Right. I love your question. You know, it's always like when people hear certain words, like you hear the word trauma and it makes like your hair stand up, right? It's almost like, ah, like it's giving me goosebumps or we think about trauma as um, something dramatic or something intense, like a car accident or somebody being raped or, you know, intense shaming or living in a war zone. And those are trauma, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but then there are also experiences that really impact our our hearts, right? Which is like how we feel mm-hmm. and our brain, which is like the neurocellular patterns of our brain and our body, our nervous system, which is like the nerves that make up consist, you know, in throughout our body. And so a lot of times I tell people like drop the term trauma if it doesn't land with you, but just for the sake of education, I think it's helpful to understand that when we experience different experiences in life, um, aren't some of us have experienced experiences that feel traumatic and traumatic just means that it's like jolting for the system. And usually when somebody experiences something as a trauma, it either, you know, it happened too quickly, whatever the thing was, it could be like a single incident, like a car accident. Or it could be like um, consistent ongoing experiences that were harmful, like almost like the slow drip of water on a rock that changes the shape of the rock over time. And that's more called like developmental trauma, or I would say, you know, interpersonal trauma. Mm -hmm. Um, Or so, and I think that like just understanding that there's like the kind that's more like jarring or shocking or generically people understand as a trauma. And then there's the kind that's almost like more silent right? And it's not as obvious, but it impacts the way that you're being shaped on personality, your thoughts, your feelings, and how and how you react to people, places, things, and even to your emotions. And so I just want to name that. And just so you know, like the concept of trauma usually is that there's either real or perceived threat mm-hmm. um, to safety, either to you or to someone that you love or someone that's close to you. And three factors are usually there that one is that you didn't see it coming. So there's no like preparation. Um, Two is that there was nothing you could do to stop it from happening. And three is that there was no way for you to find like safety and to be for yourself or for the other person. Um, And you lose connection with yourself or with others. And it's because what happens when we're feeling traumatized or when we're feeling frightened is that um, we seek out connection. We seek out resource. Then when we lose connection or we lose touch with ourselves or other people, then we don't feel capable of being able to um, digest the experience. So for example, I'll just say, for example, like let's say someone um, has, uh, you know, a neighbor that randomly comes into the house and like 
randomly starts shouting. So there's no way you could have seen it coming, right? There's no preparation. Because if I could prepare for something that my mind and body knows, like mentally, like just like protect myself, right? I can't stop it. I'm not strong enough or I can't do anything to stop it. And I can't really, you know, stop, um, do anything to, to help the person around me. Usually there's no resources, no one to help um, get out of the situation. Now, it could also be perceived just so you know, like let's say somebody has a relative that's an alcoholic. Um, maybe they come home and they're like stumbling all over and this child or the sibling or this wife or whoever it is, right? Feels a lot of fear around being around this person who's erratic. Um, and maybe they're, maybe the person is not actually going to do something dangerous, but it could be a perceived level of danger. And that itself also leaves the body feeling very frightened. So I just want to name that because somebody might say, oh, what do you mean? Uncle Johnny was always drunk, but he never hurt you. But just that level of fear of not knowing what a drunk person could do or not knowing what a person who's in a rage fit could do. Even if there isn't any physical external harm, internally, there could be like, wow, this person is really not a safe person to be around. So I just want to first like name the implicit factors mm -hmm. because a lot of what I treat and a lot of what I see in maybe to name the people who are listening, like just to be able to say like, you know, if you're one of those people or if you work with people who like have experiences where they feel either confused or they feel very easily startled or they get very defensive or they, or if you have a hard time being emotionally or sexually intimate or, you know, you're always over apologizing, you might get curious about where you learned how to be this way. Um, usually it's a coping reaction to some kind of experience or like experiences that you had. So that's like, I don't know if I'm going on a ramble here, but I'm just trying to explain mm -hmm. the concept of like experiences of trauma or just what the mind and body experience as traumatic. Um, I just want to add one thing, like when it comes to relationships and with life, it's not that none of us are, it's not that we are meant to experience life without harm or pain. We all go through pain and we all go through harmful experiences or some of us might have gone through difficult educational experiences or relational experiences or be in a culture that's or a minority group that's marginalized. Like those are very, 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 very real. And also when we are connected with either a loved one or with others who are there to support us and to hear our emotional experiences, the impact on our psyche is significantly less. And so I just want to say that because when we're talking about relational trauma, it's usually that there is either a lack of connection, like there's no one that I found safety in, or there's no one that's actually able to hear my emotions, mm -hmm. um, or it's that the people who I was in relation with either felt like scary or frightening to be with, um, or they were frightened by my emotions, so I couldn't actually share, right? So that's a little bit just talking about how relational regulation in relationships we usually regulate is a big factor. Thank you for sharing that. Cause as you were talking, I was just thinking of so many of the people I work with, um, you know, who struggle with eating disorders, you know, so many of the stories are, you know, very intuitive, empathic people who have, you know, big connections with their emotions and they might sense like, I don't feel safe around this person or, I shared my emotions or how I felt with my family members and I did get shut down. Oh, you're making a big deal of things. You're too sensitive. You're too emotional. Um, kind of dismissing how they felt. So they learned really early, like it's not safe to share my emotions. It's not safe to open up. It's 
you know, I maybe I am overreacting. Like you said, Uncle Johnny has always been drunk. What are you talking about? Right. So then like, maybe I can't trust my feelings. Maybe I'm wrong. It's not safe to go to this person because I'm just going to be put down or told I'm wrong. Maybe my emotions are wrong or I'm reading this wrong. And so it's this stuffing down of feelings or not trusting, um, not the safety, right? Like I can't go to my family members and tell them how I feel because I'm going to be told, you know, how I feel is not okay. Or what I'm feeling is like, I can't trust my own self even, right? I can't go to people or even further with the traumas you talked about earlier, the big traumas, you know, people have gone and told people they thought they could trust this horrible, bad thing happened to me. And they were told, no, that's not true. That possibly couldn't have happened. This is a, you know, and that's even worse. Now you're re-traumatized in a different way. Um, and so it's really not safe. Like, I think that like one of the biggest pieces about the relational element that you're talking about is like one of the things that we're always looking for is safety. And we, we, and life is a matter of like losing that sense of safety or stabilization or groundedness and then regaining it, losing it, regaining it. It's the same thing in relationships, right? All relationships, relationships are built on consistent um, bids for connection, consistent experiences of either trust is being built or trust is being eroded. That's basically just how it is. Now, how we turn a relationship to being a little bit more steady is that there is more trust building experiences and interactions than less trust building or than those interactions that erode trust. But I think when you're talking specifically about the body, if we just want to talk about like people who are struggling with their relationships with their body or have some disordered patterns of eating, essentially those are cope, creative coping skills that they learned, right? Usually a form of self-care but it usually comes, I always say there's like expensive coping and there's cheaper coping. Expensive coping costs us a lot, right? Costs a lot on our mind and body. Like expensive is like, if you have disordered forms of eating, it's like kind of exhausting for your mind and body. Mm -hmm. How much you have to think about it, the thoughts involved in it, the feelings and the thoughts you have towards your own body, how your body feels towards you, right? Kind of like um, slowly over time in the healing process, right? Wanting to be able to feel secure and safe and okay in your own skin. Mm -hmm. uh, but usually people don't feel, um, people usually don't struggle with their bodies unless they actually had an experience of not being comfortable in their own skin um, at some point in time. So, right, like I wrote a blog a long time ago that was called like emotional hunger and talking about the difference between physical hunger and emotional hunger. Mm -hmm. And so much, and there's actually scientific research kind of like there's a difference of like how the hunger cues come and I wrote about this feeling of like not feeling emotionally satiated. You know, like sometimes we eat a meal and we're not satiated either because we're eating from a place of like being disconnected or dissociated. So we're not in our body because we're stressed or we're not like in touch with experience of digestion and like being present with experience of nourishing and feeding ourselves. Um, or some people might like overeat. So there's also a form of disconnection, right? Just trying to numb or shove. Um, but I think it's less a matter of the food. I think it's more about being present and essentially, like, as we become emotionally or as we look at the work, like side by side, obviously, I mean, you know, all of this about with disordered eating or struggles with body image, you'd be the expert here. But essentially, if you look side by side, it's also like, what are you wanting to fill? Mm -hmm. What void are you looking to fill? Or what's the part of you that's like, not feeling emotionally satiated? And can we work with that part? Because usually when we're under or over nourishing or whatever it is, like misattuned with what our body and mind need, 
there's usually some kind of disconnection. Um, exactly. going Did you ever watch that movie? I was crying at this scene. There's a movie, you for sure know it. There was this girl who was struggling with an eating disorder. Um, and at the end of the movie, she had a complicated relationship with her mother. And the last scene, did you see it? How her mother then holds her in her arms. They do like reparative. They basically repair the relationship. And the last scene, the mother's like holding the daughter who's emaciated and so thin. And and she puts like the food in a bottle and she like feeds her. It's almost like putting her back. Like it's almost like pre-verbal, like in, almost going back to the nourishment that the daughter needed a long time ago. And she's feeding her and the daughter's crying. It's very touching. It's basically like to me, what stood out was like the daughter was really hungry for mother love like mother hunger. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that's always the case, but it was just very impactful how the the movie like depicted that experience. No, I haven't seen that, but it does sound like it. Yeah. It portrayed that very well. Like what it really was about. It's not really, I would say that it's not about the food. People think it's always right? about the food, but it has nothing to do with the food. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, I'm curious, um, so for if people are thinking, okay, so how can relational trauma, how does it show up in my life? Like, how would I even know if that's something I'm struggling with? Like if they're in relationships with friends or romantic partners or coworkers or other family members, like what kind of things might they be doing or like, how would it show up? Yeah. Okay. I love that question. Right. I think we might be curious, like, is my struggle that I'm having, we usually don't go fishing for struggles, right? Usually they pop up and it's like, ah, what's this maybe connected to, right? So kind of maybe if somebody's thinking, do I have this? Or is this maybe the answer to the mysterious symptoms that I have or the things I struggle with? So I would say like, you know, when we come into the world, we develop a template. Um, And I talk a lot about this in my training for therapists, where we talk about like working with attachment It's almost like the development of like our identity or what we believe about ourselves and others and our relational template, which means what we believe about ourselves and about others is developed at a very young age. Obviously, it could be shifted as we get older and as we're conscious of our relational patterns and the way that we interact. But essentially, as an adult, um, what you might notice, I would would pull away the word like trauma for just a second, but what you want to look at is like the patterns and the ways that you interact. So people might land up in your office or in my office saying like, like something's nagging at them. Either every time they get close to someone, um, a friendship or a coworker, or let's say in a romantic relationship, as soon as it gets real, they run away or mm-hmm. they feel like they have to shut down or their heart turns very cold or they feel this level of fear and they just kind of like, you know, emotionally disappear or like physically feel like they get very frozen. What you'll start seeing is like a form of a survival strategy coming out. Um, but it might not be as obvious. So basically you'll start seeing certain patterns of either like avoidance, maybe you'll notice some aggression, like maybe you notice that you get very angry or easily ruffled, like your feathers get easily ruffled if someone doesn't understand you, or if you feel like someone doesn't respect you and they might not respect you, or maybe you, you're very sensitive to people respecting you or not respecting you. Um, you might notice that you have like a a little bit of a graspiness or a neediness. I don't like using the term needy because we all have needs mm-hmm. and we become needy when our basic needs aren't met, right? Like you, if you're not feeding, um, if you're not feeding a dog food after five days, of course, it's going to bark at you more than a dog who trusts every day it's getting food. So, but if you, so you might notice that you're a little bit clingy or you're a little graspy in certain dynamics. 
Um, or you might notice that you get very anxious, like you're waiting for the other shoe to drop. Like, is this person going to like me when they're not going to like me? You're always afraid of being left out. Um, maybe some social anxiety. If you're a parent or if you're like connected to younger children, you might notice that you have some flashbacks, which means you might have like these big emotional or somatic body-based feelings when you're around children. Um, like maybe and 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 about which has to do with either your experience when you were younger um, or has to do with how you feel. Like some people get very triggered by children, like children either being very noisy or needing a lot of attention or children speaking up. If you were a child who couldn't speak up, so I think just like noticing. I mean, you tell me what you're picking up on, but usually mm -hmm. it's that people know. Usually when I speak to people, something about their relationship dynamic isn't working. Mm -hmm. And the ones who are self-aware get curious about how much of it is about the other person. Mm -hmm. Healthy, self-aware, humble, self-reflective people also say, how much of it is about me? And then also, what's the dance that I'm in with people? Because usually our templates are like the way we do life is the way we do love. It's the way we do work. It's the way we do sex. It's the way we do relationships. And what I get curious about is like, what's your pattern? Usually we'll start seeing a similar theme. Does that make sense? So, I mean, you tell me like what you notice, but often we'll see like either somebody goes to you know, getting very clingy or getting very insecure or maybe none of the behavior is noticed external, but internally, or maybe trying to control certain things around certain people. I mean, you tell me what you notice or what you're, you're hearing. Yeah. So as you were talking, all these things were popping up, right? So like definitely the relationship dynamics, but you know, a lot of the people I work with are people pleasers, right? And very self-critical and feeling this like not good enough thing. And, um, you know, for anyone listening, I'm, assuming some people are relating to those kind of feelings. And um, when the questions come up, instead of the questions being like, what is this other person doing wrong? They, that might be a question, but it's, then it turns more to, I have, okay, it's me. I'm doing something wrong. I have to do something to like, hold on to this person or I'm making them turn away. Or even if, so they're maybe blind to the other person treating them badly because maybe they're used to, being shut down or not listened to or not treated well, to your point, right? In their family, there wasn't that connection that was healthy when they were being raised or what was going on. And so it's more of they're not attuned to when they aren't being treated well or not getting their needs met. Yeah. It's more of like, okay, what am I doing wrong? What do I need to do? They put up with a lot of very unhealthy behaviors and relationships and to their own detriment. And I don't know what you see typically yeah okay so if we speak for a minute well basically what happens is when it comes to survival strategies there is fight um which is kind of people who are like more protective and will try to like fight for something or push someone away there's flight or people who like shut down or dissociate mm -hmm. right? there's freeze people who will go more like they might feel very panic um panicky have panic attacks right mm -hmm. um there's submit which is kind of like what you're talking about submit is almost like people pleasing I'll do whatever you want. Sure. Um, and, and, then, and then there is like attacked, which is like people who get very close to someone who might be harmful because that feels safer than not being in connection to that person. But I think what you're talking about is more of like the people pleasing, which is like submit, mm -hmm. which what I would say is, which is essentially the fawn response. It's one of the survival strategies that we take on when it wasn't safe or it was dangerous to speak up or to disagree with either environments. Like if you spoke up, you would either have been 
um, ignored or shunned or felt like or felt all alone. Mm-hmm. And usually that there's that terrifying fear of being well alone as a child is I'm not going to be able to exist. I can't exist. I won't survive. And so when we have the people pleasing part of us, usually it's the struggle that people will have is I'm in a relationship that's unfulfilling. I can have friendships that are my friendships or my intimate relationships or even with people in long-term relationships, they're lopsided. I feel like I'm the one who's carrying, like I'm the emotional engine for all the relationships. And I feel like it's exhausting. What about me? What about my needs? Mm-hmm. And so, but also I can't, like the point, fingers are all pointed at me. And I think the work over there is looking at, it's twofold. It's one of like really looking at their core beliefs of what do they deserve? Because healthy relationships are, you know, both people holding the responsibility or holding the weight. And there's space for both people's needs and emotions. Obviously, it's not always tit for tat, but first working internally on like, what are your core beliefs? What were your core beliefs? What are the beliefs that you keep telling yourself? And let's just actually pause for a second as we notice those thoughts and those voices in your head. Mm-hmm. And then based on those beliefs is also patterns. Like we allow patterns. We unconsciously get attracted to what's familiar, right? Like I always say, I'm like, it's a, like putting on a stinky pair of sneakers. Let's say you have a pair of sneakers, aka dynamics you had growing up or a toxic relationship you were in, or even like if you were best friends with someone in high school that was just mean to you, but you wanted to be popular. So you just took all the whatever it was that came your way that was negative, right? What happens is, is that that becomes a coping mechanism and it was usually resourceful sometime in the past, right? So you had some form of connection or you were liked or you didn't get shunned, right? But it's like an old pair of sneaky, of stinky sneakers where you're putting it on but you outgrew them. They're not supportive anymore. And they stink. Mm-hmm. And what happens is unconsciously, sometimes we go back to putting on a stinky pair of sneakers. So sometimes when clients talk about a relationship or biting their tongue and or like saying yes to something or not speaking up, um, I'm just going to be like, wait, hold on. Is that is that the old pair of sneakers? Like what's comfortable about putting those sneakers on? Because I don't go into like stop putting them on. I first get curious about Wow, so it's almost like this this impulse because it really is, by the way, from a somatic standpoint, the way that we work with the neurocellular patterns of our clients is we have something called procedural behaviors. We literally go back to pattern behavior and we have to undo that patterning and that happens very slowly but consistently over time. So I'll be like, wow, and it's it's almost like that impulse to go back to that behavior or to saying that thing or not speaking up. It's almost like automatic. Mm-hmm. And I want us to start challenging that or I want us to just pause for a second, right? Like as they're sharing the story, because it's not going to be helpful if I just say like, nah, you're very valuable, right? Or you deserve respect. Like that's just going to feel disjointed. So I get curious about the part of them that has the chatter in their head. When it learned that that was really helpful, like something about developing that coping mechanism was good. Mm -hmm. Usually they're suffering right now and it's starting to cost the price. And they have this internal conflict or a battle. And that's where the healing work happens of, okay, so there's like these two different parts inside. Or there's a part that's like, no, just like it's all your fault. And there's another little voice, maybe really quiet that's saying, but I don't know. Or is it really? Or maybe I need more. And we want to help those two voices be present and slowly over time amplify the voice that believes it's deserving or believes that it can have a different experience. And part of counseling, by the way, is us having an experience with a client where we honor them and respect them, but also where we support clients in noticing different relationships that are healthier. And for the client also to be able to engage in relationships where 
let's say new relationships or even old relationships, like shifting their stance in relationships that almost demands more respect or demands more. And it's not even verbal. Like a lot of times clients that are people pleasers, I'll do boundary work with them or work on some of their like relational template in session. I'm like, oh, what do I go home and tell my husband? Or what do I go home and tell my wife? Or what? I'm like, you say nothing. First, I want us to work on the implicit and the nonverbal beliefs. I want us to work on your, your beliefs internally. Obviously, as things come up, I want you to speak up, but I want you to shift the way you're being because that is a power. We want to like also shift from the inside out, not just the outside in. Yeah, no, that's important. Um, and I'm wondering too, like when you do that, or do you find that people are really scared um, to make the shifts and changes? Like they're like, they make up stories. Like if I do this, there's going to be conflict or I'm going to make things worse or I'm going to make people upset. Like, yeah, I don't think they're scared. I think they're terrified. Mm -hmm. I think it's terrifying. I think it's terrifying as someone myself who like, I have had different tendencies, but definitely in the people pleasing arena. Mm -hmm. Um, I was always joke. I'm like, I was the person who like my family used to call me sunshine. I have dimples. I was always a smiley person. And it was almost like my job to always be happy. Mm -hmm. I always say that like part of my healing as I got older was learning how to be sad learning how to be angry, like in obviously healthy ways. Um, and angry doesn't mean like smashing things or yelling. It's actually to feel the feeling of like, hey, this isn't okay. I'm mm -hmm. not comfortable with this. And then learning to tolerate the discomfort of those feelings because my body wasn't used to even just feeling it in myself. And then later on, sharing with the people because a lot of what people think is, oh, I'm going to speak up. Hold on, hold on one second. We're not saying anything to anyone just yet. First, I want you to notice what it's like to be upset or to notice the roles that you have or that you don't want anymore or that you want to shift a little bit. I don't think that we shift things overnight at all. And you know, you're talking about people being scared. I don't believe in changing our strategies overnight. I think real change, I could speak for myself, I could speak for clients. Change happens really incrementally. So mm -hmm. if you're someone listening, like, no, I do, would never expect you to change your behavior or shift things at home. Like every situation is so nuanced and so sensitive, especially if like there's family factors and social mm -hmm. factors and financial factors. Like I want this conversation more to be like just helping normalize maybe for you to understand a little bit why you might be the way you are mm -hmm. and that like you're not nuts and it's a form of coping and it was probably a brilliant form of coping in the past and maybe even in some ways in the present. Mm -hmm. maybe it keeps the peace and should you want to make a shift I would always say like just to slowly start becoming aware and maybe slowly start like educating and and I think like making shifts really needs to be done in a very slow way so it doesn't cause like these tornadoes um, that's too overwhelming to even manage right like shifts are terrifying and also because we want to manage what's going on inside a lot of times it feels very scary inside and we want to help you be able to self-regulate what's going on in turn. Like for me to say no to someone, even if I could tolerate someone else's disappointment, can I tolerate what it feels like inside if someone's disappointed in me, if I feel like then I'm going to be all alone, if that's my belief about myself. So that's my work. Like, you know, people can be disappointed and still love you. Mm. You know, I just, I just want to name that there might be layers to work with as we talk about making slow external shifts, just to honor those. You can do it, but just to maybe go in a paced way. 
No, I think that's a great point because I do think there is that misunderstanding that, oh, once I'm aware of this or once I'm understanding that maybe I do deserve to be treated better or I am worthy or whatever it is, I have to do something about it right away or I need to shift something. And that's not necessarily the case to your point. Like it might not be safe or okay or the situation might not be conducive to you making a drastic change or saying something, right? So everybody's situation is different. I think like becoming self-educating and shifting our energy and starting to educate ourselves, like you're already embodying more energetic boundaries. Like there are things that you can start taking or steps to take to start helping making those shifts. Obviously, some environments might be more activating than others. And I know we're not talking about a particular case, but different relational dynamics, some relationship dynamics can be shifted as one person shifts the dynamic and some might be a little harder to shift. But I think honoring where you're at and also starting to take one small step towards mm-hmm. taking better care of yourself is the best way to start. So if someone is listening and they're saying, okay, you know, I've noticed like I haven't been able to really establish a healthy romantic relationship. Like I'm really successful. I hear this a lot. Like I'm really successful in my career. Um, most of the areas of my life, I'm like, I'm really good at like, um, I'm successful. I'm great at, but this is the one area of my life. I've never really been able to like, you know, connect with anybody. Um, would you say that maybe this is something they can look into? Maybe something is going on here with like, I know you don't like the word trauma so much, but like something needs to be investigated here and like looked at in terms of. Yes, it will, there likely will be a, a relational trauma. It mm-hmm. could even not be from childhood. It could be they had an interaction when they were younger about you know, wanting someone or having a crush on someone or being excited about someone and then feeling really disappointed. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, if somebody is saying that they want a romantic relationship um, or if somebody's in a dead-end relationship and they are very successful or accomplishing a lot, so they're very driven, they're focused, they're able to get things done in other areas of their life. And then there's this major dissonance in their personal life. I would get very curious about relational trauma because I would get curious about like, I once was working with a guy in his fifties and he said he had never been in a very long-term relationship. And he's like, I'm so open. And I said, really, I'm I'm curious what open looks like for you. Hmm. And as I got to know him better, I said, you tell me a lot of stuff, but I don't really know you. Hmm. It's almost like there is these, um, there's these bouncers around your heart. It's like they let you talk. They let a part of you talk and talk to me. And and we're buddy buddies. We're friendly. But really knowing the language of your heart, there's a lot of bouncers around there. And here's the thing. I'm just curious. Like, I actually don't need to get through the bouncers. That's for you and your internal word. Like, I want to honor that for you. But I'm just curious if you have any sense of when those bouncers were created or what their job is. So usually it's because there's some form of protection, usually unconscious, either a promise to themselves to never get hurt or some deep wounding or pain, or maybe they saw relationships that were harmful or hurtful. Maybe they experienced some kind of emotional neglect, right? A lot of times it's like the invisible, like with those people, they're usually very successful. So they're very capable. Some people learn to overperform because it's almost like they think that their um, production equals their worth which it's not, it's like a, it's not like this um, diagram where it goes up. It's actually like inverse often, or it's just, a, there's no correlation, mm-hmm. right? It's like, yes, taking care of yourself is impressive, but 
the more you produce, it's not directly connected to your worthiness. And usually there's some kind of belief about worthiness or lovability. Um, but the beliefs usually stem from, yeah, I would get very curious about what happened to that relational template, especially if you're saying that there, there's there's a big difference between people who say, I don't want a relationship to I do. By the way, this guy, he said to me, he was joking. He was like, no, I'm very open. So I picked up my bunch of keys because I have a bunch of keys, my car keychain. And I said, I'm just saying from what you're telling me, the last few women who have dated you, when they try to talk to you, they literally have to take one key. This is the key to your heart. This is the key to your thoughts. This is the key to your work. This is your key. I'm like, do you even know the keys to all these inner blockages, all the locks? And he started laughing. I was like, I know you wouldn't listen to me if I tell you, hey, you're all guarded because you would be like, no, I'm not. You told me you can help me. And very slowly, we worked with the parts of him that learned to protect him. So it really depends for each person. But anyone listening, if you're having a hard time getting into a relationship, either you're not attracting the kind of people who you would want a long term relationship with. So there's a misattunement on values or they're not in the same kind of space as you or they're not capable or you just can't attract someone and you are really putting in effort, I'd get curious about your energy. If there's some unconscious part of you that feels safer, not getting close to someone, um, or if there's some kind of fear. Mm -hmm. Because I really believe, not to sound heebie-jeebie, but honestly, I do believe that we co-create. I think the timeline of life often looks a little different than what we want. But when we actually have like a valve that like opens and closes and there's capacity for our heart like we all want love and connection. We're humans. We're all social creatures. So if there's something there, yeah, I would get very curious about relational trauma or what's going on with that relational template and not just what they're saying. I would get very curious about, I remember once working with a girl and she was talking about wanting connection. I was like, can I just like ask you something? And we did like a somatic exercise of me coming a little closer, a little further away just helping her develop a somatic awareness, just like a felt sense of what felt good in her body, what felt more comfortable, what felt less comfortable. And I said to her, I was like, it's almost like, you know, some people's body language, when you talk to them, they have a very welcoming body language and some other people you talk to them and their body language is like, no, or just go away. Um, so I said, I'm curious, like I held up a mirror. I said, are you comfortable just looking at yourself in the mirror? And what kind of um, body language or what kind of body message do you think that you give people or in specific scenario. So we worked with the parts of her. She did need to have like a very standoffish side to her at work when people meddled in her business. But when it came to dating or when it came to socializing, we worked on helping the part of her that was really hungry for love to feel more secure mm -hmm. and more held so that she could be more open-hearted. Because open-hearted, a lot of these people that are shut down also have been very badly hurt. And it's not right for us to say, just go be open-hearted. Mm -hmm. I don't know, just like you don't let a five-year-old run in the street or go to a singles event. We want to make sure we don't have like a little inner child or a fragile part that's going out there. So we want to make sure like an adult who could discern who's right or wrong is, let's say, connecting with people. And we also want to check in on if there's like an internal part or hypersensitivity that needs some like attention or healing. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. um, what I have seen is people attract healthy relationships, even like some people who struggled with disordered eating or trauma, like all of that is really, it takes up a lot of emotional and mental energy. Yeah. yeah. Right. And as we do that healing work to almost like let that tuck away or just have its evident flows, there's energy then for connection or there's energy for somebody like loving to come into a person's life. You know, relationships take energy as well. 
Right. Absolutely. I mean, there's so much to that, right? Like a lot of times the relationships, the safety to your point is like with food instead of people, food safer, there's a connection there. And yeah, it's occupying much more of the emotional space. And, you know, there's, I mean, people who are listening, you probably know a lot of what I'm saying. But yeah, once that clears out, I felt like once Ed leaves the building, (laughs) there's a lot more mental energy and emotional space for a person to come in or other things that um yeah sort of was occupying to you know come in and occupy your life with so um it's kind of like if you're on a date with ed and you want to bring in tom or if you're on a date with ed (laughs) and you want to bring in with charlie one of them is going to be like you're in my seat you're in my seat or why are we at a table of three and it's like wait hold on one second okay ed you're still here i might need to give you a step stool or a smaller seat or could there be times that you sit in the corner or could there be times that you come to visit i notice you need love and attention because you you know you're But like, could you give me a little bit of space to go on a date with Charlie? Right. Right. The food thing or the substance thing is really like that. I'm the one in control. And as much as it's so frightening to be in relationships, as people develop more trust in their capacity to be in relationships, they could be very nourishing. I mean, obviously it takes energy, but I remember hearing this quote and it was um, this person said, it's not so much that when we get into a relationship with someone that we trust them not to hurt us. Obviously, we're discerning if it's someone that's worthwhile of our time. It's that we trust ourselves enough that should something get a little wonky or should it not work out, that we have the resources, the friendships and our resources and skills to take good care of ourselves when we need. Mm. And I think, of course, you want your relationship. Obviously, if you want to invest in a long-term relationship or a lifetime partner, you want that person to be one of your primary people. But one of the ways people get into those relationships is with Also doing that work to be like, I can and I will regulate myself as I navigate. Usually the beginning stages are the hardest, right? Or as you're developing more vulnerability. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, that's a great point. Having a good support network around you, even if it's yourself too, right? That's Uh, important. Yeah, right. Well, I, my goodness, there's so much here and I appreciate like all of it. And I'm sure people listening, their heads are kind of spinning with things that they're thinking about. Um, but I'm wondering if there's any, you know, last final words you have for people as we get to the close here. So I would just say, like, if there's any spinning, so I'm just like going to put my hand on my heart for just a moment. Mm-hmm. And it was a lot of words. But what I want you to do is just like come back home to yourself. Take a deep breath. Let's send some loving energy, some oxygen to your body, to all the cells in your body. Your mind, your thoughts are all working so hard to take really, really, really good care of you. And if there's anything that you take away from today, all I would want to do is if you could just honor the ways that your mind and body have figured out to take good care of you up until today, because your mind and body are inherently brilliant. Maybe if there's one piece of information that you might take away or one um behavior or pattern that you might want to challenge or look at on your own or with a loved one, with a therapist or a mentor. Um, and really the the looking at it would be, the question would almost be like, how can I invite more love into my life or into my own body or into my own mind? And you don't have to have an answer, but it could just be like, how can I bring more of that in? And whatever comes up for you, I would start there. I would start with one really, really small step. Amazing. And, and offer yourself a lot of grace in this process. Yeah. 
You know, and just right there speaks volumes about the work you do with people and how you help. So if anybody does want to work with you, does want to find out more about, you know, what you do to help people, how can they find you? Oh, you're so sweet. Um, they could find, well, I have a website. It's integrative psych, um, dot co, or you just look up my name, Esther Goldstein, LCSW. Um, we treat people around New York. And then, um, yeah, we also just so you know, we have what I remember there was a time where I didn't have the financial resources to be an individual counseling or to be the kind of counseling that I got to have the luxury of much later on. So one of my commitments is to create free resources. So on our website, we always have like blogs, free downloads that we create just to be um, meditations, to be a resource to people around the world. Check out our website, integrativepsych.co. You can find me on Instagram. Um, but yeah, take good care of yourself. Happy to be here to support in any way. You're amazing. Check out her social media. It's wonderful. It's amazing. Um, all that's going to be in the show notes too. So Esther, thank you so much. This was, you know, all this great information. Like I said, I think, uh, very helpful for people. So thank you again. Thank you. I'm so happy to be on. This podcast is designed to provide accurate and authoritative information in regards to the subject matter covered. It is given with the understanding that neither the host, the publisher, or the guests are rendering legal, accounting, clinical, or any other professional information. If you want a professional, you should find one.